Before you again victimized or extorted by this prisoner, please contact customer service at 855. All subject matter in the preceding podcast is entirely alleged and not admissible in a court of law. A recklessly minimal effort has been taken to change the names and details of any guilty parties. And just in case you rat bastards get any ideas, the hosts of this podcast are notorious and well-documented liars with no legally admissible credibility. This is Mama C, and you're listening to Notes from the Pin Podcast. Welcome to prison, bitch. Greetings from the prison industrial complex. We have a very special episode today. Today is our LOP episode. Yay! So Bobby's Yay. on. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to bring it. Bobby's on uh, loss of prevent uh, loss of privilege. Privileges. Yeah, a loss of privileges, and um, it's not even seven a.m. in the morning. So both of us are still a little bleary eyed and not too, um, you know, not too upbeat yet. We're still. Uh, you know, getting the fog out. So we're going to talk about loss of privileges, and then we're going to um, end it with uh, we got some uh, listener questions from uh, Mike in New Jersey and um, Greg in New Jersey. So, uh, Chino. Yeah. What's up, loss of privileges guy? This is like I've always wanted to do morning radio, so it's uh, <laughs> a big deal. I, uh, yeah, so... Um, yeah, managing today's day two of LOP sanctions, as they also call them. I'm on sanctions um, for a minor infraction, not getting my pass signed when I went to go pick up my secure pack, which is really a hit or miss. You don't always have to do it. And I just, I was like, it was like five in the morning. I'm like, I'm not standing here while this prick looks at his watch and is gonna wait to the exact minute when he's gonna sign our shit. So, yeah, write me the ticket when I get back if you feel like it. I didn't think I'd get one, but I was I was prepared for it if I did. It's a, a class three, a non-major, so a minor infraction doesn't go towards any points or anything. And just got three days sanctions for it. And uh, it's all right to get sanctions every now and again. It, it almost feels like a, a little reprieve from the hustle and bustle of everyday prison life. I should say this. I'm, we're inside right now. Usually I make these calls outside because it's a little quieter. And it's um, a little better quality, it seems to be. But uh, one of the parts of sanction is you're not allowed out of your cell, period, except for chow, right? Um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which I usually skip breakfast, so it's lunch and dinner. You know, and you're out for about 15 minutes. So you're out for about maybe 30 minutes a day. If you walk really slow to and from chow, what they call the level four shuffle, to stretch out your quote-unquote yard time on privilege, on, on sanctions, then you can do that. But uh, since the corona shit, we found like a little loophole. They uh, they want us to be able to still, you know, keep in touch with the loved ones, make sure everyone's okay. So we get to use the phone and the JPay on, in, in the morning. So that's why we're uh, coming to you live and direct in the morning. Yeah, and I should also point this out. uh Bobby, I guess, from what I understand, has a little bit of a say on when he's going to perform his LOP. Is that right? Like, you get to pick which days? Yeah, usually. Well, see, the, it's it's kind of a way. You know how in uh, court, like, if you if you uh, plead guilty, they, they are supposed to show you a little leniency? Well, right. they kind of have that mentality with uh, a ticket hearing. So when you catch a ticket... The, the CEO who writes it isn't the CEO who hears you on it, which it's all a kangaroo court anyways. They'll just go, even if you're completely innocent of it, they'll go, well, I'll take the word of the officer over you. So one of my um, tools of persuasion is I choose my battles and a couple of days LOP and, not, you know, everyone goes in there and fights with them and calls them assholes and yells at them. I just go in there and just like none of this is getting to me. Do what you got to do. I'm not mad at you. How are you doing today? Okay, good. Um, and so part of that is, like, yep, I'm guilty. It's, that's just the way I've always been. If I'm guilty of something, I'm going to be like, yep, I did that. You know, and usually they'll show you a little love. And one of the one of the little leeways they usually give you for not breaking their balls too bad is like, well, when do you want to start? And you have usually like a week, a week, you know, give or take about window start. Yeah, so I chose this window because I knew you'd be off today, and we could, uh, you know, it's there's never going to be another time after the whole corona thing. Or maybe there will always be a time now that this shit's around 
where uh, where you could actually record an app an episode uh, of LOP while you're on LOP. So figured it'd be cool to do. Go over some of the routines of what it's like and stuff and and whatnot. Yeah, and we're even going to get into uh, some of the. Um, I, I know we often talk about mental health. I don't. Oh, hi, little cardinal. Uh, but we're going to get into some of the mental health aspects of being on LOP and kind of the things it brings back. And but let's uh, start with your uh, LOP routine, right? Yeah. So initially, when it's been a while, I, I really don't catch tickets very often, and the tickets that count as far as like when's the last major you caught is what they call the class two or class one. It's been two years since I've caught a major ticket. So I don't really do LOP. Uh, the neighbor Hollywood's always on the shit, which means I got to help them out, go get hot water for them and microwave shit for them. But I've also had to reach a point with them where I'm like, okay, listen, you're just fucking, some of these tickets you're catching are because you don't want to get your head out of your ass. You, you're letting your ego dictate everything. I'm not going to reward this shit and just be up here for you all the time. And then I still go do it for them because that's convict code. And, uh, there's times like today where he's finally off LOP. We were both on LOP yesterday where he's going to have to run around and do my shit today. But Like go microwave stuff for you or yeah. just because you you're not allowed to leave your cell. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, I guess you go to, like, the day room or something where there's a microwave. And what do you mean hot water? So there's uh, in every joint there's a hot water dispenser, you know, like the little, I don't know, you see them in offices sometimes. There's got the little tab on top and they're just perpetual hot water producers because you know i mean what else, i mean that way you're that, that way everyone who's uh heating up coffee doesn't have to go to the microwave they just get hot water out of the out of the faucet so that's where the you know down on base and nor, in most prisons it's a day room but the base serves as the day room here which is the base level um so we don't have access to microwaves to uh, hot water to the cold water or the water fountain Showers have to be taken between 9 and 10 a.m. at this joint. At, at other joints, are different. It's, it depends on where you're at. During LOP? Yeah, during LOP, yeah. So you're pretty much locked down all day. So the only time you get out of your cells, out of your cell is for chow. And then chow time is when you actually get to see people. So any errands, which there's always errands and messages and shit going on, you have to maximize that time. You know, I, I, I told you, uh, if being in the hole is like being in jail in prison, then being on LOP is like being on house arrest in prison. So when you go out to chow, you got to make sure you catch everyone. You walk slow to try to wait for another tier or, or leave early to try to catch someone on another tier to tell them, you know, listen, pay this guy this for me. I, you know, I, I own two bucks or tell them I'll be out later. Call this person for me. You can't use, obviously, you can't use a phone. You can't use JPay. So, uh, hey, can I can I can I got to interrupt with with a quick question? Is a uh, would a lame uh, catch an LOP on purpose on store day if he didn't have his uh, money to pay the debt and then be like, well, I couldn't go to store. Would I, you know, I don't know, can't pay you. Um, I don't know if they ever think that far ahead. One of the reasons like people owe money is 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 much more frequently because things don't work out the way they think they're going to. It's not. It's it's less of like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck this guy over. More mm. stupidity and 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 optimism, I guess, blind optimism, where they think shit's gonna work out. They usually don't plan plan that far ahead. But you know, this is one of the uh, unique things about being in a joint without a bunkie. When you have a bunkie, being on LOP is like a detriment. Like it becomes a problem. Like if you have a bunkie that's always on LOP, you never have alone time. So that that becomes a contentious. I, I had a bunkie in in level four, the second level four prison I was at. That was just bugged out, like all on psych meds. And he had LOP. This was in 2015. He had LOP printed out on a white sheet of paper, which is usually it's handwritten on your ticket, right? He had it printed out on a white piece of paper, and he had two and a half years of LOP. What? And, and he would just he would just blow it off anyway, so they ended up sticking him in a hole. That that prison had a laydown joint, so they put him in a hole for. I never saw him again, actually. I don't know how long he was in a hole for. What's a laydown joint? Um, it's a prison that has long term segregation. 
So the second level four I was at, you know, most most prisons you're at have a hole, a temporary hole where you can stay there for like a week maybe. But a laydown joint has uh, has you can stay in the hole for years there. So you disappear in there. And those laydown joints, rather than use the threat of those things to curb behavior. If this, like, let's say, let's say you're at a laydown joint, and you would expect everyone to tighten up and stop catching tickets, right? And then, you know, the ideally you'd want the hole to be kind of empty because people are learning from the threat. That's not how they work. If people stop doing that, they start putting people in the hole for for more minor infractions. So right. it's really about like vacancy. Like, well, let's fill this up. We got all these in here. Well, you get caught with a tattoo motor, you're spending three months in the hole. You know, so uh, yeah, the longest I've ever done on LOP is 30 days, and I was on level four when I first. It was when Chop was my bulky. So, uh, but you didn't have to go to the hole for it. No, no, no. I just did 30 days LOP. And Chop had to do a bunch of errands for you, so that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was always in there, and uh, there. Was Chop, time. by the way, one of the show's favorites. Shout out yeah. to Chop. Chopper, what's up? Yeah. I'll see him at Chow. He'll wait for me for Chow today. He usually waits for me. I'll walk him over to Chow. How long's the line? Um, three people deep. Give me ten. All right, I'm here. To accept this call, press zero. Well, I wanted to reset the table real quick that we're getting. Well, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. You do. They haven't opened yard yet, so that's why there's a line, because there's a bunch of phones outside, so people... I don't know why they have an open yard. Hopefully, it looks like they're still running the other, like, 10 blocks. And once that's done, they should open it, so we should be good. If, they, if the reason they haven't opened it is because they're going to blow emergency count and you don't hear back from me, it's because they blew the sirens and I had to go lock down. But I, I think we're all right. Man, every single day there's something else in prison that, you know, you're not in control of and just, you know, weird every shit. Day. Yeah. Every day, yeah. But I'm in a good phone the best phone to be inside on over off to the side in a chair let's go all right so to reset the table bobby just called me back and we're talking about loss of privileges and you know that means he can only go to chow uh due to coronavirus he's allowed to call me only in the morning till would you say 9 a.m or 10 a.m yeah 10 so people can still get in touch with their loved ones uh during the the plague and um yeah, so uh, I know I'm in charge of driving the ship, but uh, I don't know exactly which direction you want to go, Bobby. You, you were talking earlier about uh, some of the some of the things you're wondering about your own psyche. You know uh, what this whole prison stay is going to if it's going to do something permanent to you, um, or if LOP does something to you. I'm sure. Listen, well, there's no doubt going to the hole does something to people. I mean, that, that's torture. But uh, hit me with it. Well, well there's a, uh, you know, there's, so you go through phases on LOP. This isn't so bad because I get to be out in the morning, but when you spend, you know, about day three, four, five, you know, and on of LOP, you start to get stir crazy, as you can imagine. You know, imagine, you know, if you're in a, a tool shed for uh, days on end and you're only leaving for, 10 minutes at a time, you know, two or three times a day. It starts to fuck with you, man. It, it plays with you. It makes you antsy. Um, you could wake me up, like, you know, erase my memory and wake me up at 8 p.m. where I become conscious at 8 p.m. at night or, or 9 at night when they close the yard down, and I could tell by my energy level that I was on LOP because you have more energy because you haven't been expending it. So I'm more talkative. So at, 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 late at night, I'm taking at Hollywood, I'm like, you know, talking shit to him, starting some little fights with him, just fuck around with him and stuff. He just walked by. He's finally free today. He's been on LOP for like a week. But, um, you know, once you run out of all this, all this stuff to do to distract yourself, you know, it, it, there are good things about LOP. You know, there's this social expectation to, to be out on the yard every day. It's, it's a weird thing. It's like, um, a peer pressure that I fall into too. My homeboy Lefty, like I don't see him out much, and then so you kind of rag on him, like, "What are you? What are you scared to be out here? Where you been? Are you okay?" When someone told you you can't come out here, and it's, oh, shut up, man. I'm out here all the time. 
right? So there's like a, a social thing, but there's also like for someone who has like anxiety and stuff, I'm sure it's like, it's a relief to be on LOP for a little bit. I mean, I feel a little bit of that. Like there's less, there's nothing to, to do as far as like socially. You don't have to go make the rounds and do all that stuff. You can just sit back and read and write, you know, organize yourself, clean, fold stuff, get get the stuff that you've been putting off and been kind of meaning to do. But once all that stuff runs out and you're just, you know, like I said, the longest I did in, in one row was 30 days and you're just starting to get stir crazy and just, you're just in there and it's kind of like psychologically messing with you a little bit. And I'm not there yet, but for whatever reason, I woke up earlier than normal because we had to do this today and you know, the first thing I do is take a piss in the morning. And I was kind of letting you know I had this uh, realization, you know, uh, a triggering of a, of a memory. You know, sometimes memories are just visual. Sometimes you can you remember what you heard or smelled. Or, but the best ones or the most vivid ones are when you, re- for me anyway, they're when you remember how you felt, right? You you experience that. I think everyone does. Of course. And, uh, Although those aren't, and when you say those are the best memories, more like those are the most, I don't know about accurate, but those are the the most vivid memories. I think the, where you remember how you felt, that, which and it could be it could be terrible. It could it could be a, not a good feeling, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, it could be good or bad. And uh, I was taking a piss, and these these cells that I'm in over here, because this is a part of the original prison, Jackson, like the main prison in Michigan. You know, it's about a hundred years old. And it looks the exact same as quarantine because it was built the same time. And no other prison looks like this. So it, I was pissing and just looking at the stainless steel toilet, and it just triggered a memory of, like, when I was in quarantine originally. And it came with the feeling more than anything else. And the feeling was I, I remember the feeling of when you first come to prison, when you wake up, you have this really, like, out-of-place feeling, like... You know, because you've been asleep, so you're you're almost like jarred awake, and they're like, "Oh shit, yeah, I'm in prison," and it hasn't quite settled in yet, and you just have this feeling of being out of place, like this isn't where I belong. This is a strange, foreign place, and because of that, I think your like your nerves are on, on a little peaked up a little bit, and, uh, and all that stuff. Like and, like if you get shipped to a new school when you're a kid. And you're like, oh, I'm the new guy. I don't know. I don't know how to make moves in here. I don't know what I'm doing. Or you start a new job, or you know, your you, your anxiety's up already. Yeah, your antennas up and stuff. But but this is like before because that like stuff happens more like um, what, that starts to come. I I just remember the the really jarring sensation when I would wake up to take a piss of like, holy shit, this is like where the fuck am I? Like, what? Because it's so different, looking, smelling, sounding, than anything you're ever used to. And so you're like, oh, that's right, I'm in prison. And it just feels so different. And then I had that little flashback this morning, and I, and it just made me realize that that just slowly goes away. Right? We kind of talked about this before, and how that's both, it's a blessing in the sense that you don't want the stress of waking up every morning like, what the fuck's going on? Where am I at? This is, I can't believe this. Oh my God, I'm in prison. Yeah, you can't. It's a blessing that that goes away in a way, but then there's also a part, which is what I felt today and I've felt in the past, where you go, oh, it's also heartbreaking. The the realization that you've settled in and this place is your home is just as heartbreaking. You know, it's better on your nerves, but it's worse on your heart to realize that. And, like, I just felt that today. Like, oh, this is, like, when I had that flashback feeling, I was like, it's so different now. Like, I, and this isn't a place you want to feel comfortable like that, but what's the alternative? You're always on edge and super anxious and shit all the time, which also still does happen. And it just sat with me, and I was like, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about that. No? Yeah, I don't even know if I could articulate it, because it... it I mean, this goes back to many of the things that we've talked about, you know, how how I pull these stories from you and you're like, I, why is it even interesting to you what I eat or, you know, uh, pizza, corn and lettuce? Uh, why, you know, to me, I'm desensitized to that. And I'm like, no, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You know, tell me more. But for you, but you're, I, get, I would imagine your brain and your body 
you know, is desynthesizing you to that because you, like you say, you can't always be appropriately, uh, you know, uh, surprised or shocked or appalled at all the things you see on a daily basis because there's no way you could, uh, you know, excrete that much hormones all the time and adrenaline or whatever else that you would need. Instead, you're just like, yeah, that's normal. Oh, yeah. stabbing? Uh, okay. Yeah, and then re- thinking about that, though, made me realize that, like, um, I kind of had it wrong, too, though, because you don't ever fully acclimate to this place, to to the sense that you would in the world because, or most people would in their own home and stuff like that, because there's a sense of security that I think buffers your subconscious that isn't in here, right? And, like, you made the like, comparison, like we were talking before, is... uh Almost everyone everyone can relate to being, like, the new kid in school or the new person at the job. And you kind of have, like, okay, everyone's looking at me. Like, what's what's going on? I don't want to make any mistakes. I want to, you know, impressions are important. And I want to be capable and not fuck up and not do something stupid, whatever. And that's not a great feeling, you know. Like, there's some excitement of being in a new place. But that's, that's like, a thing you want to you ease into and be comfortable eventually. But, you know, I was trying to tell you. Imagine that times a thousand and the, the, the stakes being so much when you're walking around in a new job, there's not the there's not the real potential, depending I guess depending on the job, that someone's gonna slash your throat that day if you fuck up, right? And even if that's a smaller chance, it's still a real chance. I've seen it happen to people. And so I think the reptilian part of your brain knows that and, and you don't make it out of here unscathed like that. Like I was telling you, I used to uh I'd, I'd say a couple years ago, about five years in, I was like, okay, and I don't know how right this was, but I had this thought. I said, okay, I've been in prison long enough to learn what prison is supposed to teach a person. All the good things prison can, can teach you to appreciate loved ones, freedom, um, food, like everything that's been taken from you and the importance of time and life and stuff, I learned. You don't need five, you don't need more than five years to learn that. Now, there's other things you can learn, clearly. But I remember focusing my mind and saying, okay, these next seven, these next six or seven are going to be about me maintaining my sanity in prison, not becoming bugged out, as they say, or really institutionalized. And so a couple more years had passed, and, like, recently I started to think, oh, that's not even a – that was a false assumption. That's not even possible is to come out of prison unscathed mentally and emotionally by it. And so I had to readjust and go, okay, so the new goal is not to be super fucked up by it and keep everything in perspective. And that goes, you know, there's a lot of techniques to do that. You know, me, I always go back to meditation and, and staying productive. And that's like, I, I'm sure subconsciously, probably not even, that's what this stuff does for me too, is like maintain these connections with all you guys listening out there and with you, Jeremy, and 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 expressing myself through writing and stuff. I'm sure all that stuff has to do with maintaining some level of sanity, and I'm putting it, work into it, right? And so there's people that aren't putting any work into it, and they're just, this place will eat your brain up, and you will never be the same. And because I've acclimated and put a lot of time and effort into, like, trying to maintain my sanity, sometimes I forget, right? Because... It starts to make you question, like, crazy, crazy. One of the uh, the telltale signs of being truly crazy is you don't really know you're crazy, right? So I have that feeling, like, well, these bugged-out people, they don't really know they're bugged out. Like, what's to differentiate? How do I know I'm not fucked up? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and you you, you would have, I mean, whether we like it or not, I mean, I I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, to say that it's not going to leave some sort of permanent mark on your psyche uh, would just would just be probably foolish to think, you know. So the the best thing that uh, you can do, and of course uh, we can help you as listeners, um, is you know try to keep maintaining the connection so it's as minimal as it has to be because it's going to yeah. be there. But l- let's just try to keep it as minimal as possible. There's a there's little things too, and I kind of told you about this. When they open yard, I'm in a different. I'm, I'm still inside, but I'm in a phone tucked off a little bit. You'll be able to hear. I don't know if there's been any announcements. I'm so tone deaf to them when I'm on the phone, but 
there's these really jarring, there's 400 people in here, so there's constantly people getting called down to the office, the, the, the counselor's office, the, the, the CO desk for tickets, for sanctions, for mail rejections, they have to go to call-outs. And so it's a perpetual thing where they're on this really jarring, loud, like or- Orwellian intercom system here. And it affects you in a way because when you hear that thing, first of all, it's damn near unintelligible. It takes a month before you start to be able to decipher it and stuff. And so you're sitting in there in your cell and you have your earbuds in and you can hear it through your earbuds. And every time you have to take an earbud out and you get that spike of anxiety in your chest and you have to listen, are they calling me? Oh, no, okay, they're not calling me. And then the, the anxiety fades. But that has to be doing something to you. You know, that that release of that stress hormone has to over, all like all day, every day, that has to be doing something to you. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I feel like it's got to be like, uh, I made this uh, uh, analogy earlier with you, but if you're Hawaiian, if you live in Hawaii and you get like an Amber Alert and your phone's going off, you automatically probably are scared shitless that there's another like missile scare like there was a couple years ago. Yeah. How long is the line? Well, a prisoner at the Michigan Department of Corrections. Yeah, so before we got cut off, we were talking about um, how, you know, the intercom just triggers stuff for you, and you, you deal with it, you know, dozens and dozens of times a day, and you just kind of wondering, you know, what does that do to your overall mental well-being with that always, you know, secreting some sort of, uh, some sort of, uh, I don't even know what, I guess. Uh, stress hormone. Yeah, yeah, there you go, some sort of stress hormone. Uh, and over long periods of time, you know, how, you know, how shell-shocked is that going to make you? That's, that's all. T- you know what? For this being a special LOP episode, it, this is like buzzkill central. Yeah, well, I'm in prison. Like, what do you want? I mean, what do you want? You want uh, annoyingly positive? This is the same guy who chastised me for annoyingly positive Bobby C. episode. <laughs> <laughs> Now, uh, it's how I'm feeling. It's early morning, and uh, I'm on LOP. I'm living that loft life. And uh, you know you know what another one uh, that's like a Pavlovian, like a fear response is uh, to sound is when I hear jingling keys now, I, my ears perk up and I look around because it means there's a CO by somewhere. And right. You're just on it. And it just makes me wonder if the, how long that's going to last, if I'm going to be out in the world and someone's going to throw their keys to someone and I'm going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. My neck around like, what the fuck? Some little minor, minor form of, uh, post-traumatic stress. Yeah. I feel like, uh, just hating the sound of keys. I'm going to have those little rubber things around all my keys and shit. I can't hear them. Can, um, are we going to wrap this up and get to, um, questions from the listeners? Well, I mean, uh, yeah. Well, you, you, after you, you just shot me down about how much of a buzzkill this is, like, yeah, let's handle some of these. I'll see if I can't fucking get someone to commit suicide out there. Let's go. <laughs> that took a dark turn. Well, uh, is there anything else of, on LOP you'd like to discuss? Um, just the fact that, uh, no. I mean, I got to go get now. I got to alter all my workout routine and shit because you have to shower between 9 and 10 a.m. And, uh, no, I'll be off. This is like LOP light considering I get to use the JPay and the phone in the morning. So tomorrow's my last day and then I'll be back out to, to normal. Let's get to these, uh, questions. Okay. Before we get to the questions though, when we did our food, uh, episode and uh-huh. I, I, I still, I, I am, I'm never going to be able to get over pizza, corn and lettuce. I'm not ever going to, that's of all the things that are jacked up in prison. That I know to you, that's like yeah. Well, everything's jacked up. To me, I, I there's nothing more bothersome than the idea that somebody's gonna. But regardless, after you told me about all the things you eat, and to think, and I didn't bring it up at the time, I, I should have, that they're lessening how many rolls of toilet paper you can get. I mean, it just face palm. Like what? I got. Go ahead. Nah, that's it. I'm just bitching. I got a, I got a little, the toilet paper situation has gotten not completely better, but slightly better. So we're just going to, let's just say the, the old soup in the bars. Oh, starting to work out again. Okay, good. But, 
But, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had pizza yesterday. And some pizza days, they have, like, this little, like, cold spoonful of pasta salad, like, with oil and, you know, little pasta noodle, macaroni noodles and stuff. Right, right. So I was, and I like it better when it's that. And when it's that. So I brought seasoning over. And then, of course, it was the uh, corn and salad. And I was like, just instantly was like, why does he think this is, I mean, yeah, it's weird. But, like, out of all the things, all right. So, uh. Okay, so. Yeah, I appreciate Appreciate that it bothers you too. Oh, it bothers. It, 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 uh, I can't. I got. I tell people at work about it. I can't get it off my brain. So, uh, Greg uh, from New Jersey sent in some questions, and I guess him and his homeboys listen. So he's got a question here. He's got a couple questions from Mike in New Jersey. What is the average day schedule wise in prison? For example, are you supposed to be up at a certain time, and what, if any, things do they expect you to do? I think we've covered a lot of that. Yeah. Nothing. They don't expect you to do anything. Um, if you have a job, if they force you into um, prison slave labor, which I try to avoid, I haven't had a job here yet, um, which is good, um, because I don't get any of the money anyway. They just take it, and you're working for a cent a day, penny, literally pennies a day. And uh, so they don't really expect you to do anything, which in a lot of ways is kind of worse and like a lot of these people need structure because they don't all they do is play cards and dominoes all day and are just like trying to pass this time shit talking and you know what they say about idle hands and like a lot of these guys are 19, 20, 21 with absolutely nothing to do and it leads you know this is why there's proliferation of gangs and stuff like that so the schedule isn't really uh, isn't really anything but what you make it <clears throat> so if you if you do structure yourself it, uh, you can teach yourself a lot about just, I think that's where I found my discipline and stuff because it, most people just have the mentality of like, no, I don't want to say most. A lot of people have the mentality of like, well, I don't have to do anything, so I'm not doing anything. And that, you, you'd probably agree that that would have been the most likely choice for the old Bobby C, right? Yeah, but I think, uh, having more discipline is probably, uh, helping for, uh, in lots of different ways. So Mike W from New Jersey then follows up with a question about jobs. And he wants to know, uh, in regards to jobs, does your previous experience in the outside play a role? For example, if you're a cook, do they favor you for working in the kitchen? No. No. First of all, shout out to Mike and Greg. Me and Greg go way back. That's my brother right there. We grew, we grew up around each other and uh, was the only other Asian in the crew. And uh, so much love to Greg. He's been a great support. And uh and sounding board for this whole podcast. And, you know, Mike's one of the people he brought in. So, uh, appreciate you, Mike. So, uh, no, no, that would, uh, that would take too much. So many of the problems or, or so many of the conundrums or misunderstandings for the people in the world and the way prison works is that they rightfully uh, assume that logic and common sense has anything to do with the decisions made in here. And I cannot stress this enough nothing, almost nothing to do with the decisions made. No, that would make sense to do that, so they don't do that. That's what you can ask yourself before you guys ask me a question. If, if it makes sense that they would do this, they probably don't do that. So when you go during orientation, whenever you go to a new joint, you have to go go do orientation, and they sit you down, and part of orientation is like checking off the jobs that you, the job pools you want to be put into. Now, most of them have an institutional need pool, so you get two choices. So the first choice is something that they need. In most places, it's like kitchen workers or porters. That's probably the job you're going to get is what 95% of the people get. And then you have an alternative one, which is like um, the photo, the guy who takes the photos on visits, the more obscure ones, laundry guy, where you, you know there's only three laundry guys for 400 people. Um, I got actually got a job as maintenance at the second level four I went to. And it went like this. I went to level two, and they had institutional need kitchen worker. And I, they called me down, and they had it already printed out on my classification. This is your job. Um, this, I'd already been classified, obviously, because I transferred from the level four in the same facility to level two. So I said, listen, I, to the guy, and now I will never work in the kitchen in prison. I don't care. I will never work there because you're going to get fired. You get treated like a slave. I'm not going to get any of the money anyways, and it's just the worst. I, and I'll, you'll end up, everyone ends up getting fired anyways. And then when you get fired, you start double O, which is 30 days of LOP. 
sometimes they stretch it out to six months of LOP until they give you a new job. So Jesus. I told the guys to listen. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 it's slavery. They force you to work. So I told the guys to listen, not to be an asshole. I'm not trying to be a tough guy. I'm not working in the kitchen. So get the double O paperwork ready now. Let's start that timer now because it's just going to happen anyways. And then I can get it. On a, so he said, uh, okay. And he sent me back to my cell. And then uh, he called me up like 10 minutes, 15 minutes later. And then he called, we'll come down here. And he goes, listen, I don't know if this is like an ego thing. He had to like save face. He goes, I see that uh, I kind of I kind of picked up on that you might be ready to go the double O route. And I was like, I told you. I was, All right, whatever. I'll give you that. And he's like, but I, there is an opening in maintenance, which I said, anything else, I'm not doing that kitchen job. So I got a job in maintenance where I got to frame a few things and uh, use a skill saw and pound a couple steaks. And, you know, a lot of it was like grunt work and working a grinder to cut out old uh, cells and um, bunks in a hole and stuff like that. But And, and filling water softeners with rock salt and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so I got, I got that job and... I, I don't know. I don't know if that was based on my experience. I had written it on the classification thing, but I don't know. It so. couldn't have, because if anything was to make sense, just remember, pizza comes with corn and lettuce. Perfect. God. That's a perfect symptom of the disease of just random... It's not even, like, malicious, though. Like, at first, everyone thinks the shit they're doing in here is malicious, I would much more prefer malicious intent because at least in its intent and at least it's predictable. It is literally like they have like all these random things on a wheel, right? And then a, couple, a lot of them are just completely nonsensical. Like stand on your head for 15 minutes and they just spin the fucking wheel to make decisions. It is insane. And it's really an argument uh, like, uh, you know, the post office works works good. That's run by the state. But then being in prison makes you go, oh, like bureaucratic shit. Like, I don't know about relying on, you know, I'm definitely not right wing. But it makes you go like, oh, yeah, are they right about, like, bureaucratic systems fail? Like, it's insane, the stupidity. And then it's, it's maddening. Okay. So, yeah, so. Let's go to uh, Greg. Uh, Greg has uh, three questions, and then he slides in some questions from another person. So hopefully we can. Hopefully they won't take long. Do people ever fake or embellish illness to get out of prison temporarily to go to the hospital? Um. Yeah, they. Uh, people will do that occasionally. It's such a hard thing and it's like the long game to get you down to another joint like the joint i'm at is close to Dwayne waters which is the mdoc's actual hospital so i have like uh like well, a messed up vertebrae in my neck that gives me like headaches and stuff so they're i'm close to it so they'll before all this corona they sent me over there for x-rays and they're going to send me for a cast scan at some point i've been trying to get it dealt with since i've been to prison but some people will do that to try to go to another place or another unit or another facility yeah they people will do that occasionally it's just hard to do because once again they might just be like well we're gonna make you stand on your head for 15 minutes like it doesn't nothing makes sense it's so a to like yeah, eat the corn and lettuce and stand on your head for 15 minutes. And you're like, okay, well, someone's, can I get you to spin the thing again or no? Okay. What is the process for determining if a person will be sent out to the hospital? Is there a facility nurse and protocol that makes that decision? This is his field. That's why he's asking. I'm a, of course, he's asking this stuff. Um, yeah, and most prison doctors are terrible. The last spot I was at was actually had a really good doctor who cared, who wasn't forced to be there, who did it morally out of wanting to help people. And he would actually sit there and talk to you and give you real diagnosis and treat you like a human being. The protocol is consistently go over there until they're forced due to fear of a lawsuit to send you somewhere to get checked out. Like I said, I've been trying every prison I've been to. I've spent countless $5 um what are, what are they uh, copay fees to go over there about my headaches and they just they just keep this is the finally um, the last doctor at the last joint put stuff in there so when I got here they wanted to check if you go to the hospital for a weak or ambiguous reason such as you know like a tummy ache or ear infection infected toenail 
Do you get judged by the other convicts when you return, and are there consequences? No, no. and you don't go to the hospital unless you're dying. Okay. They'll send you to health care, but you don't go to the hospital unless you're dying. And no, you don't. No one cares. He's got one last question from George H. Uh, lots of New Jersey questions today. It is... It is generally accepted that early childhood experiences leave an indelible mark and predict the man the child will become. What are your thoughts on that as it applies to you? I think recently from a lot of the research I've been doing, I think that that definitely plays a role, but I think it... uh, We don't have enough time to get into this right now. Yeah, that's a whole book. Prepaid call from... Uh, So, uh... Can I answer this one? Yeah. Do you want me to re? Do you want me to re-ask it? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a, a little bit longer than than the other questions I've answered because I. This is like uh, I'm going to get real here for a second. So go ahead. All right. This this question was uh, about uh, how early childhood experiences leave an indelible mark, and they can predict uh, the man that the child will become. So how does this apply to you, or what are your thoughts on that? And I knew you as a, a kid. I don't know when we met. Maybe you were 12 or 13, and I was probably like um, 17 or 18 or something. Maybe a little bit younger than that. Maybe a little younger, probably 12, 11, 12, something like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I thought about this recently, and, and I'm pretty sure that this is uh, one of Greg's uh, mentor types down there or up there. And uh, and it relates to something me and Greg had talked to. Now, first, I want to say that I don't believe in the blank slate theory or the noble savage that we're all just we're all just amalgamation of our experiences. Um, I believe that I had a genetic pre I have a genetic predisposition to addiction, to depression, to, to stuff like that, as well as like risk taking behavior and all this stuff. But I, you know, it's obviously. To, I mean, it seems obvious to me that it's a mixture of things. And so I used to joke about this. I used to say, um, you know, I'm half Korean, right? I'm mixed. And I used to say jokingly, half jokingly, that, that like a lot of my stuff is me trying to make up for the, the stereotypes, to live down the stereotypes or make up for the stereotypes of your typical Asian or, or you know, the perception of Asians out there. But I was talking to Greg recently and we really like got into it and he's been in recovery for like 10 years and, um, I was describing it to him, and, and, you know, like I said, Greg's the only other Asian in our little clique, and so we could relate to certain things. And um, I said, and he was kind of calling it, I guess him and his sponsor came up with the nerdy Asian thing, right? So he's, like, doing all these things to to combat this, like, nerdy Asian cultural stereotype. And I said, before he could get all that out, I said, listen, there's been a cultural demasculinization of Asian males in America, right? You're, we're, we're nerdy, we're brains, we're non-sexual, we have little dicks, stuff like that, right? Like these are the stereotypes perpetuated. Oh, I could go on. Uh, spelling bee, you play the cello, you're great at math, you're a computer whiz. I mean, uh, those physical, are... Soft. Right. So I could see, so that's interesting, you know, because... You're covered in ink from nut to neck. You're uh, you've always shirked that, and and Greg to an extent as well. Yeah, me and Greg aren't your stereotypical Asians as you would. Uh, uh, yeah, as the, the Asian stereotypes, right? I'm six foot tall. I'm you know 180 plus. Greg's like five ten. You know he's Filipino, and uh, and we were kind of talking about that, and I'd always written that off, right? Because I was kind of aware of it, and. Was talking about it really like I went back to my cell like it was at night and it, and it just, I kept waking up at night thinking about that and thinking about myself as a kid and about how much that must have really sunk in with me. I I used to carry right before I got like before I got locked up I would carry a stock dick pic around in my phone and was showing my uncle pictures of Cassius at like a, he came up from Detroit at a dinner table and he's like flipping through it and he goes and he's like what is this and I'm like oh no no skip that because of, like, the stereotype. You know what I mean? So it was like, I was at a bar. You could see my tattoos on my hands. So you know it's, you know what I mean? You know it's me. And, but these are things that, like, are funny to me at the time. But, like, I was really, like, starting to think about that shit and think about 
me being so quick to fight people or stand up for myself. And then, you know, I moved out of Detroit when I was like, you know, four or five and moved down south where I was literally being called a chink and a ching chong and all this other shit and was fighting from day one, from kindergarten. It was just, I'm not going to be a bitch. You think this of me. And I was also raised, my dad was Korean. I never met him. So my stepdad was around and I, I'm around no other Asians, right? So I don't, I just look different, right? And I'm constantly being told I'm different. And I'll talk to some of my friends and they'll go, oh, you're, you know, I don't even see you as Asian. You're white or you're whatever, you know. But I have to remind them, like, yeah, that's, I appreciate that, I guess. I'm not white, but the world doesn't see me like that. And I haven't been treated like that. You know, I there was this, when me and Greg were talking, I had this distinct memory of my friend Nick when we were in seventh grade. And uh, I've done all right with the ladies. I'm not a, a nerdy, unattractive. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm okay. I'm not. Um, you've always, you've always done. You've always done well. Yeah, I'm not a guy that's had trouble with women ever, right? But he, we're, I'm in like seventh grade, and Nick's, Nick's on the phone with a girl that he's kind of dating, and he wants her to bring a friend for me. And you can tell she said, "Well, what is he? Well, who is he? What does he look like?" And he goes, "Oh, he's Korean." And instantly, I go, "You can't. Well, what are you doing?" I'm like, "You can't say that. You can't." She just picturing like. A super fat face, slanty eyed, which is like shame that has been instilled in me, right? Like, like to be like ashamed of that thing, to downplay it, and I, that's that stuck with me forever. And then I also, I was trying to explain to my mom the other day after this conversation with Greg that I said if if I had a kid, I was full Asian, and I had a kid. Wait, 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 wait. Shit! I think I just heard a uh, intercom. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you heard an announcement. If I had a kid with someone of another race, like let's say I had a kid with a white girl and I was full Asian, I would hope that no, I would hope that the kid came out more white than Asian. Wow! Because there's anything I'm ashamed, but because it would be easier for the kid. And I'm not claiming like uh, Asians have it harder than black people or anything like that. I don't. You know, it made me appreciate that even more. Like, you know, black people come into places and a lot of people are like, oh, they're going to steal or they're violent or whatever. We just have different prejudices against us. You know what I mean? Um, but we're seen as, as this other thing, like we're soft pushovers, non-physical entities and stuff. And it's, it's that, that has, I'm just now starting to realize like, oh, that, that is how could that not have played enough, played a role in me being, much quicker to fight people or to be, I, I don't know. And it's, I'm still coming to grips with it because it's like this unsettling thing that makes me almost feel, because I'm not a victim at all. Like, I don't like that mentality or anything, but it makes me really, this is sounds so sappy, feel bad for like the younger little five-year-old version of me fighting at school every week because someone called me a chink or a ching chong or whatever. And uh, I'm sure that, that those things mixed with also my genetic like predispositions I might and I am reticent to say stuff like this it could have very easily played a role in um, some of the troubles I've been into in my life you know yeah so uh, so to answer your question George uh, yes obviously um, Bobby getting called Ching Chong, uh, when he was in kindergarten, uh, had something to do with him carrying around a dick pic uh, just so he could be like, no, that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but for real. It's fucked up. And, and always being, like, subtly insecure about, like, you know, me and Greg were talking about how now there's, like, BTS, I think they're called, the little, like, uh, all-Korean boy band group that girls are, like, screaming over. And I'm like, where was that when I was younger? And then there's, like, this new guy who's in um, Crazy Rich Asians and stuff. He's, like, a leading man who Greg will point out real quick. He's only half Asian, which, all right, I'll give him that. And uh, there's just these little cultural things that I think are starting to shift a little bit that I'm so glad they're starting to shift and um, that I'm just now starting to realize, like, oh, yeah, that I might not have ever admitted that. And, and Greg, me and Greg had talked about that, too, 
have have talked about uh, um, about some of those aspects that like oh yeah they must have affected me made me insecure made me ha- like I had something to prove you know and to overcome yeah you know, that's, that's feeling like the other right you were always feeling like the other and as the dumb forty year old white guy me I'm like what, do, what this is new to me what do you mean what do we, and now now I'm thinking like. Jesus, if if the K-pop army was around uh, back when we were kids, that would have helped Bobby in some way. And I'm like, what? That, that's that's it. but that's you know that obviously did leave an indelible mark on the man you became. Good yeah. question, George. Yeah, really good question. All right, George, coming with the heat. Yeah. Let's uh, wrap this um, dick pic episode up and uh, <laughs> and uh, Arriva Derch, everybody. At some point, at some point, there's too much sharing going on with this stuff or what? Jesus Christ, warts and all, I guess. Dick pics and all. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Ooh, that's the new. That's the new one. Dick pics and all. Go use that somewhere, you guys. <laughs> Pizza, corn, lettuce, dick pics, and all. There you go. <laughs> That's the show description. <laughs> Pizza with a side of corn and lettuce, dick pics, and all. To learn more about Bobby and prison reform, go to notesfromthepen.com. This has been another Notes from the Pen production. Wow. I don't, uh, I don't always have good or bad feelings about these ones, but I think that one was all right. I think the opposite. I'm like, man, this is going to be a, one of our more boring or slower ones. Uh, no. Just because of two dummies talking about uh, mental health. and uh, But then again, it also uh, I think the, does a lot I of... Think our listener, I think you're underestimating our listeners. I think our listeners are smarter than the average bear. I really do. And I think they're interested in stuff like that. I know they're interested. Well, the ones I talk to.